0: ...about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace
1: be with you. Friends, as you know, St. John is a consummate literary master. All the scenes in his Gospels are carefully constructed icons, I call them. They're, They're sacred pictures in which we're meant to contemplate some aspect of our relationship with the Lord... Walk through John's gospel in that very meditative spirit. Think of each scene as this sacred picture now, and you're meant to kneel before it, sit before it, contemplate it. Well, the scene for today's icon is the vicinity of the Jordan, where John the Baptist is baptizing. We hear he's standing with two of his disciples, and he sees Jesus walk by. Without hesitation, he tells his followers, Behold, the Lamb of God. There's that term we use, of course, at the Mass. When the priest holds up the consecrated elements, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. There's something, of course, terrible in that description. For John is telling them that Jesus is the one who will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. This is not a gentle and meek image. It's a very harsh, uh, even violent image, as they'd bring the lambs into the temple for slaughter so Jesus will be put to death for the sins of the world. But the young men with John, his two disciples, I think, you know, friends, they're probably kids. They're probably no more than, I don't know, 18 or 19. People didn't live that long in the ancient world, you know, so someone just kind of getting started, someone who's a spiritual seeker was probably quite a young person. We can imagine them filled with religious enthusiasm It brought them to John in the first place. They're like a lot of young people, maybe listening to me right now, who are trying to figure it all out, trying to understand what it's all about. They're hungry for the secret to life. And so when their great mentor, John the Baptist, says, Look, there's the Lamb of God, they go heedless of the difficulties. I mean, they they were Jews. They knew what Lamb of God meant. And yet they followed him, the way young people do, and it's such a beautiful way. You know, I, I commend young people. Maybe some listening right now, follow those those youthful enthusiasms. Don't don't let them, um, uh, you know, peter out. Follow those, even when you know it might lead you into a challenging or difficult situation. The Bible, as I mentioned last week, knows all about the human quest for God. And you see it there in these two young disciples questing, they're running after Christ. But, as I said last week, the Bible's not primarily about our quest for God. It's about God's quest for us. And you see it here now in this beautiful icon. Here they come running after the Lord. But then Jesus turns on them and asks them a question. You think of the you know, the guru and you're gonna to climb to the top of the, the Himalayas, you know, to interrogate him. You're gonna ask questions. The guru, you're gonna follow him, you're gonna ask him questions. How wonderful now that Jesus turns on them and asks them a question. And what a question. What are you looking for? Wow let that friends just sink in let it be your point of meditation this whole week hear it right now in your own hearts imagine the Lord is right in front of you and he turns and he says what do you want what are you looking for extraordinary isn't it what would you say that's why this question's so important. What would you say? I mean, very often in life we kind of know what we want in various areas. We know we want, you know, money or success or we want power, or we want privilege, or we want friendships and we'd say, "Yeah, that's what I'm looking for." But now, now the Lord himself addresses you at the level of the heart. You know this is the question. What would you say to him? You probably wouldn't say pleasure money power success you'd know somehow that's not the right way to respond to this question you know in your heart of hearts that those things don't give you joy so what would you say would you say peace joy meaning purpose yeah yeah maybe those are all legitimate answers listen now to how the disciples respond it's really telling it's a great question from jesus it's going to be a great answer from them they answer with their own question rabbi where are you staying now, it might seem peculiar first to answer a question with a question, and then why are they worrying about where is he staying? I mean, you could look at it almost as a comical scene, as here's the Lord himself turns on these disciples, these spiritual seekers. What are you looking for? And they say, where are you staying? I mean, what <laughs> is that just missing the point? Like, what, what hotel are you staying in? But see, their instincts are precisely right. Because just a few lines before this passage, we find one of the most famous lines in the whole Bible. Namely, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, the logos, of course, in the Greek. What does it mean? It means pattern. It means the point. It means meaning, significance, purpose. It means God's mind. See, here's the point, friends. It does not remain something abstract and distant like a Platonic form. No, no. That word became flesh. It became a person whom we can see and touch and talk to. You know, in the first letter of John, we find that magnificent claim is we offer you the word of life, the word that our eyes have seen, that we've looked upon, that our hands have touched. There's the whole drama of Christianity. The word became flesh, a person whom we can see and touch and talk to. And that's why the instinct of these disciples is so good. Where do you stay? See, They know the answer to the deepest longing of their hearts is to stay with him. They knew that what their hearts were seeking was not to be found in a book or a set of ideas, not even in walking a spiritual path. It was to be found in him. What they're like here are apprentices moving in with a master painter. So go back to the... Renaissance period, when a young kid wants to learn how to paint. Well, he didn't just go to painting class. Didn't just listen to lectures by the painter. He moved in with him. And I mean for years. He went. maybe went as a kid and lived for years with the painter. Watched his form of life. Imitated his rhythms. Saw what he did. Yes, indeed. But more than that, he was taking in his whole life. Watching him at close quarters, trying to figure him out. And see, this remains a permanent feature of Christian discipleship. Not too long ago, I read a, a, a description of Christianity, which I think was meant to be a critique, but I thought it was, it was right on. The author said, Christianity is a kind of cult of personality. Well, that's quite right. That's quite right. We're not an ideology or a philosophical system. We're a cult of personality. We're obsessed with Jesus Christ. That's right. Much more than Islam or Buddhism or Confucianism, Christianity is about the founder. Here's a great detail now from our icon John tells us it was four in the afternoon. Nothing is incidental in John. You know, he's like a great poet. I mean, a poet thinks through every word, and especially numbers. For ancient uh, Jews, ancient Israelites, Every letter corresponded to a number and vice versa. So numbers had great significance. We hear that Jesus died at three in the afternoon. And therefore four o'clock designates what? What comes after the crucifixion. It designates the time of the resurrection, which means, if you want, the time of the church. That's why these two disciples of John the Baptist, who now come and stay with Jesus at four in the afternoon, are evocative of all of us, all of us Christian disciples who down through the ages will stay with the Lord. How do you stay with him? Liturgy, the sacraments, the sacramentals, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, the art and beauty of the church, etc. I mean, all those are ways— of staying with the Lord. I've used the image before of of the Mass, the two great sections of the Mass, Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist, correspond to the way that we typically stay with friends. When you meet someone for a a gathering, you come over for um, a get-together, what do you do? Typically, you talk for a time, and then you eat. Well, there's the Mass. We come and we talk to and with Jesus, and then we eat with Him. We eat His body and drink His blood. The idea is the Mass is staying with him par excellence. It's staying with him at four in the afternoon, the time of the resurrection. This is why, by the way, it's such a tragedy that so many Catholics are staying away from the life of the church. The point is you are not going to find him elsewhere. That's how you stay with him. Now, just a last uh, point. At this point in the story, we discover the name of one of these disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon. First thing he does upon leaving the presence of Jesus is to tell his brother about the person he had met. We found the Messiah, he says. Again, don't you love it? He's a kid full of youthful enthusiasm. He stayed with Jesus. We found the Messiah. And then it says he brought him, Peter, To Jesus. What I love here is the immediate and enthusiastic evangelism. When you've seen a great movie, you want to tell people about it. You've heard a new song that you love, you want everybody to hear it. When you've met someone fascinating, you want to tell your friends about her or about him. It's just built into the nature of the beautiful that you want to share it. See, and that's exactly what's going on here. Once they stayed with him, they got him. They wanted to share him. That's why all Christians are evangelical. And notice, please, whom Andrew brought to Jesus. Not any old figure, but the one who would be the chief of the apostles. The one who would carry the faith to Rome. The one who would be the focal point of the church. To this day, the Basilica of St. Peter in Rome is the focal point of Catholicism. Without Andrew and his evangelism, Peter would never have come to Christ. Think of someone, now you listening to me, who stay with Jesus, who know what that's like, who catch his spirit, his power. You know someone like Peter. I know you do. You know someone that you should bring to Christ, someone you should introduce to the Lord. Do you have any idea how important that could be? It could be the next great saint that you are introducing to the Lord. So stay with him, as these disciples did. And once you do, you'll be so caught up in his spirit that you will want to share him with the whole world. And see, friends, that's the whole
0: rhythm of the Christian life. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor. Here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.
1: Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at Catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends. Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at Catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.